Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. My guest today is Mallory Dobbs. Mallory Dobbs races in the super sport category in Moto America, and we caught up with her just before her second round ever in Moto America before she goes to Laguna Seca, the iconic Laguna Seca track. We talked to her about her life before she got into motorcycles, her life now in motorcycles, and what she wants to achieve in motorcycle racing. It's a fun chat. I think you'll like Mallory Dobbs. I think you'll be a fan of hers after you see this interview. So enjoy my friend, Mallory Dobbs. One, two, three. Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini, and my guest today, let's just get right to it. You know, I started out just saying uh, uh, wonderful things to her and whatever, and she was like, thank you. And then she was achieving the dream. Like, I'm all about chasing the dream and achieving the dream, and this person is living the dream. I Probably more than anybody right now that I know, she is killing it. My friend, Lisa, I hope she thinks she's my friend, because I think she's my friend. My friend from Olympia, Washington, Mallory Dobbs. How you doing, Mallory? I'm good. I'm doing great. <laughs> Mallory, you know, honestly, I, I love your story. Like I was saying beforehand, I love your story, and we're going to get into it. But Olympia, Washington, all I know about Washington State, I've been there before. Beautiful state. I know about Mount Rainier and Bigfoot. And have you, and have you seen both? <laughs> I have seen Mount Rainier and I have had a friend dress up as Sasquatch or Bigfoot and wander around the forest just to talk with people. <laughs> so, are you sure that was your friend? Are you sure? Maybe, maybe. It wasn't. I mean, <laughs> you shared pictures like it was, but maybe it was a real thing. <laughs> now, I know your story and we are connected in a little bit of a way because I am originally born and raised in Oklahoma, and that's where you won your world championship in show pony, uh, show horse, right? Yeah, yeah, I won a world championship when I was 18 years old. Yeah, I won a world championship title, yeah. And the, and that, was, that, that was that was my roots. Uh, I showed horses since I was 11. Uh, I My grandparents were into it, my mom was into it, it was a whole family thing, and so I did that for a long time, up until, you know, four or five years ago when I started racing motorcycles. So, but, but that's the story that, okay, growing up, okay, you had horses, but did you grow up on a farm? Did you grow up in a rural setting or, or, or an urban setting? Yeah. So I, I grew up in Olympia, um, pretty much in like kind of the outskirts of Olympia, but not much. I mean, basically in the city. Um, and I just paid to board my horse at a boarding barn facility. And, uh, we, couldn't really afford like a fancy place. So we like had a self-care barn and we had to go every day after school and go clean his stall and feed him, water him and like ride him. And it was a very big time commitment. You know, my life revolved around horses for a long time. I was, you know, there all the time. There was times when people were like, Hey, you want to go do this? And I was like, no, but we've got school and horses. Like that's it. That is my life. <laughs> what was it about horses that, that intrigued you when you were a kid? Cause I, I mean, no offense. I think most I can't say most girls, but I think with women, for some reason, it's something about horses and women that at least ponies. And honestly, and then they they graduate from there. But something that love affair between horses and women. What is that? You know, I couldn't really describe to you what horses mean to me, but it's almost like therapy, you know, like having that bond with such a big animal that has a mind of its own that you get to like train with and work with and like try to work towards something greater and you know, it's just like having a dog, right? It's like a companion that like understands you and like consoles you in like the worst times of your life. And that was what horses were, right? It was just like an escape. Like it's it's similar to what I feel on motorcycles is that like when I'm at the barn or riding motorcycle, there aren't many, there isn't much time to think about much else other than that moment of what you're doing. And so it's that, it's that moment of like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm living in this moment and enjoying this. And so, cause like the moment that you're like thinking about other things on like a horse or something, you get distracted, they're distracted. And then it just doesn't feel the same. And it's just, it's obviously a lot slower than a motorcycle thing, yeah. but like, it's, it's very similar of like, you get to just kind of enjoy life in that one moment with your, your partner, you know? What, what, what kind of girl were you before you met the horses? I mean, were you like uh, a rambunctious kid and then the horses kind of like, you know, uh, got you into discipline or were you like, honestly, were you like, were you already disciplined and the horses were like, ah, this is my thing? Um, I would say that I was probably pretty disciplined. Uh, I'm an only child. And so I was kind of kind of sheltered. Were, were you spoiled? <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but not spoiled. You know, I'm just spoiled. <laughs> um, <laughs> says you. Says you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> jury's still out. 
And so I was, I was very disciplined. I really enjoyed school getting straight A's. Like that was all me. Um, I definitely think courses helped that, you know, like the dedication that requires to do, to be, to do well with or showing and stuff like that just requires a lot of time and dedication. And, you know, my, my mom threatened multiple times of like, you know, I'd cop an attitude or something to don't make me rip you off that horse. And I start crying, you know, this is the whole thing. And, you know, I just learned a lot about what it took to be there because it was a big deal. My parents were spending a lot of money to get me to do this horse stuff. And it was like, if you aren't going to take it seriously, like there's no point. And so I think that is what kind of like created this culture in me of like, you know, if you want to do something like commit and do the thing and, you know, strive to be best in it. Don't just like sit and be like, Oh, I'm going to do this thing for fun and like, whatever. I don't know. I just think that like the accomplishment and the goals that like the dreams that I have now with motorcycles were cultivated by the fact that I did the same thing with horses with my parents. But now did you, did you discover that early, early about, you know, the goals and like, did, did your parents really say, listen, we're spending money here and this horse wasn't exactly cheap. So you need to, you need to realize, you know, this is what you want to do because if not, we're going to let the horses go. You can go play with a Barbie doll or do whatever. I mean, did you <laughs> realize that when you were young? I mean, did, was that really instilled in you when you were young? You realized that? I think so. I don't think I really fully understood the amount of time and effort and energy and like money that went into it at the time when I was a kid. And now looking back on it, I'm like, wow, my mom was really dedicated for me and like did all that stuff for me and like spent all the money. And, you know, now as an adult, like doing it for myself is obviously like maybe put a little more into perspective. But at the time, I think I just thought that, you know, it was something I wanted to do or I don't even know who put the seed in my head of like, hey, you want to go to the world show and like compete? I think it might have been my grandma. But, you know, it wasn't something that like I always dreamed of, you know, it was like, oh, I have this horse, I'm working on it, I'm going to do these things. And then it was like, you start to progress through the sport and you're like, well, I'm doing really well here. So maybe I should like do the next step. And, you know, just kind of progress that way. Like, I just don't think that I ever really, like, I never set my sights on something and then like achieve it and then be like, all right, we're done. That was it. Cool. Do you ever want to go to the Olympics in it? No. <laughs> you didn't? No. Really? I mean, you know, you got, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? On that one. <laughs> so so no, what was your, like, you know, when you were a kid and they go, so what do you want to do when you get older? What are you going to do when you grow up? Like, what did you say at that moment? When you were a kid, just growing up, everybody's, I want to be a fireman. I want to do this. I want to, you know, what, what was your dream? What's my ask you? Uh, I had, I probably had two that were pretty, pretty hard, but one was a veterinarian. I want to be a vet. Cause I love animals. And then I realized how crappy that would be to like have to deal with all the sick animals because yeah. you don't get to see all the happy friendly ones. So you see all the ones that are like, so it was like, maybe I don't want to do that. And then I used to watch a lot of like CSI. <laughs> and so I wanted to be like a crime scene investigator for a bit. <laughs> so that means, so that means like if you're going out with you and you watch how to get CSI, then you would know how to kill a boyfriend and get away with it. Basically is what you're trying to say. <laughs> Basically, what is it with what is it with women and watching CSI and murder shows? There's something, there's some kind of connection there that's scary. Speaking about my mom used to watch Murder She Wrote all the time, and like you know, so I think it just started when I was young. So basically, you either wanted to help animals or kill a boyfriend. No, I wanted to solve other people killing their boyfriends, solve those mysteries. I'm not going to kill anyone. Of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. You're just a sweetie pie. Now, okay, so growing up, now, you know, I know that you and your dad have a special connection with restoring cars. Now, are, are you consider yourself a daddy's girl? Um, I actually wouldn't, you know, my mom and I were a lot closer growing up because of the horse thing. And so, you know, my mom took me everywhere to horse shows all over the country and we spent a lot of time together. My dad was supportive, but he wasn't quite into it. And so we did some car racing together, you know, and it wasn't until, uh, probably midway through college that I formed a better relationship with my dad. Um, my parents divorced and my mom moved to Texas. And so I got like this different relationship with my dad. That was pretty cool. And so now my dad and I are a lot closer. Uh, and he, he enjoys my motorcycle racing, but he prefers cars. So was, was, <laughs> he doesn't was really it, like to come out and and race. Was there ever a rift like growing up, you know, when you're a teenager, as my mom would say, you think you knew every damn thing. Was there ever a time where like <laughs> there was a rift between you and your dad and now it, that, you know, it's like it's fixed and it's better. Was there ever a time where like you and your parents weren't getting along? 
No, no. I mean, not until I like said so when I was in college, my mom decided to change her life <laughs> was the moment that like I became closer to my dad, but there was never like a disagreement between any of us. I was really close to my parents and they were great. So and you were an angel pretty much. I mean, basically you're, you're the only child. So you're an angel, no matter what you did it was perfect. Right. <laughs> I was such a good kid too. Cause like my mom, my mom would like, my mom told me stories about how she'd sneak out all the time and like, you know, she went to parties and like she had two other sisters. And so like, she was, she was the trouble child. Yeah. And then she was like a helicopter parent for me because she thought that I would be that. And I like never tried to sneak out, never brought home any boys, like never did anything like that at all. <laughs> like horses were my life. I was school and horses. So you were boring, basically. You were a boring, good kid. Like, God, yeah. you could do something wrong so we can punish you. But you were like, I'll do it, mother and father. By the way, here's yeah. all A's. Sir, I got an A minus. You were, you were that good of a kid. I didn't even, like, my parents never even were, like, the parents that were like, you have to get A's, you know? Like, it was, like, me that was that way. Like, I'd get, because my parents were kind of like, meh, you know, high school. They didn't go to college. I was a first-gen college student. And um, so uh, that was, that was on me, right? Like that was my choice. Like I wanted to get, I cried when I got a B plus or whatever. Like I was upset with myself. My parents were like, no, that's really good. Like good job. And I was like, Stop. Well, that's odd. So basically you were, so, you've been self-driven your whole life then. Yes, I would say so. And it, that just it's comes from, from, from the inner you then, right? <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. People ask me that all the time. They're like, you know, did someone like tell you that you had to do all these things or whatever? And I'm like, no, it's something that like I put my mind to it, and that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I did. So when did you be, when did you, when did you decide to become a bad girl and get your motorcycle? Because motorcycle to me, I always say that motorcycles, and when it comes to racing, all forms of racing, no matter how advanced we get with society, there's something about motorcycles that always has that bad boy or that rebel, that rebel quality. I would say bad boy, but you race, so it's a rebel quality. No matter how high up you get from MotoGP, whatever, there's always that rebel quality where motorcycling stands out. So when did it start for you? Yeah, uh, I don't, it didn't start until 2016, I think. So 24, 25. And I had a boyfriend who bought a motorcycle and I rode on the back of it for like two months, a month. I hated it. It was awful. He had like a, it was like a CBR 600. Um, he weighed just about as much as I did, if not less than I did, like he was tiny. And I was like, I am fearful for my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what you mean? What you mean about the circus? Was he a jockey? <laughs> no, he was. He was half Korean, so he was just skinny. Ah, <laughs> and it's great. She's an equal opportunity for most women. Would like, no, I'm not going out with a little guy. But you didn't care. You got, oh, I like my little man. And so, you got yourself a little boyfriend. <laughs> you can discriminate, you know. There you go for you. Great. Right. Right. Good for you. Um, so yeah, I bought my own motorcycle and then uh, we broke up shortly after that. Um, Whose fault was so, it? Whose fault was it? Huh? Whose fault? <laughs> Whose fault? Well, so the story behind the motorcycle is actually we did it for three years, three and a half years. We broke up for like a month. And in that breakup period was when he bought the motorcycle. And then okay. of course we kept talking and then got back together because that always works well. Always. And always. Always. <laughs> and so we got back together. We, and then like I rode on the back of the motorcycle and I bought my own. And then of course, a couple months later, we ended up breaking up for good. Um, we just weren't good for each other. Uh, we had different goals in life and he was a great person. We're still friends. And uh, yeah, we just weren't good for each other. So we just kind of called it quits on that. And then I was like, well, now I have a motorcycle. So I'm going to go bebop around the city of Olympia and cause trouble. <laughs> you become a hooligan. I saw those videos of you being a hooligan. So there was a little <laughs> period where you weren't uh, Miss Goody Two-Shoes like, you're, like, you're, like you claim to be. You were pretty much a hooligan. You were doing wheelies on a supermoto. I was trying. I was trying to do wheelies. They lasted about two seconds. You just get a picture that looks cool, but it was like up down. <laughs> and I thought I was the coolest kid on the planet. <laughs> so you're and I back, I'm like, oh man. So you're being a hooligan, basically, what you were doing in that time period. Mm -hmm. I had hooligan friends, so, you know, I was trying to just fit in. <laughs> so, so if you had hooligan friends, that makes you a hooligan. Like every parent says, if your friends <laughs> jump off a bridge, would you, would you jump with them too? Is that what you would do? So basically, you were a hooligan. If the, your friends were hooligan, you were a hooligan. Yep. So when, when, did, when, did you decide, when did you decide to say, you know what, I'm going to curtail that and get into racing? When did, when did that kind of come about? Um... 
yeah, it was pretty crazy. So I tell the story, it like happened so fast. So I don't even like really know, like it was, you know, I bought my motorcycle. I started riding on the street. I met a bunch of friends on the street and, you know, cause we did like bike nights, you know, meet at Starbucks, hang out, talk, whatever. And I met a bunch of people that were like, they had these really cool things called track days. You like go to a track and then you just like can practice. You just ride around. It's no requirements. Like you just have to have the gear for it. And I was like, wow, that sounds like really cool. Like, why would I not want to do that? Like I have a motorcycle already. Um, so I like spent all the money, um, to buy all the gear and like went to my first track day and kind of just met, um, a bunch of people on my first track day. And so this, the funny story that always goes, is like, I had my dad's Dodge 3500 with a eight foot by 20 foot enclosed car trailer with my one motorcycle, because I had no other way to get my stuff to the track that I could unload it by myself because my dad's truck was lifted and too big to unload it. Yeah. So I show up to the track and everybody's like turning their heads. They're like looking at who's this like person showing up to their first track day, you know, bright eyed, bushy tail, just like stoked. I'm like, I'm doing what I'm doing. (laughs) And um, met a ton of people. And so one of my friends, Emily, she was like 15 at the time. We're still friends. Uh, She came up to me and she was like, you should come to Thunder Hill, which is in California. You should come to Thunder Hill with this big group of people. We're playing a big trip. Like we want you to come. And I was like, you don't even know who I am. Like you just met me like today. Like, and I was like, dude, you just want me for my trailer. Don't you? <laughs> because I was like, I have this big trailer and all these people that want to take all their bikes to this track. She was like, well, kind of. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> You're the rich kid with the trailer. So my dad was like, only you can drive the truck and trailer. So I had to drive the 10, 11 hours by myself while all these people were in my truck with all these bikes, these people I didn't even know, right? Like I met them like one day, I met them in passing, like I barely even knew any of them. And I was like, we're gonna go to Thunder Hill. Like this sounds fun. We did a three day trip. We ran both tracks down at Thunder Hill, like two tracks there. And that was like my like third or fourth track day weekend that I'd ever done. And I met all these people that like a couple of them were races already. And they were like, you should get into racing. Like it's really fun, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I mean, okay. And so all of us in this group, like, I guess like peer pressure, like, you know, all of us were just doing it. And so yeah. we all like started looking at like motorcycles and like, I ended up finding one for like $1,500 and it was an 03 R6. It was, it had been raced for a long time yeah. and it was, it was, it was character, but, uh, we ended up all buying a race bike. Most of us from that group, we all bought race bikes and we all started racing and created a racing team essentially when we started called Hobbit racing. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. And, and since then that team has kind of disbanded, um, a couple of them have had kids and, you know, life changes in school and all kids ruin stuff. everything. I mean, kids ruin I everything. Know. You know, they do what they might want horses. They might start, I mean, you know, I don't know how kids are. Yep. And so the, the team kind of disbanded. I'm still like, I think one of the only ones that's still kind of racing right now, but that's kind of like the origin story of that. It was, it happened so fast. Like, I mean, I started riding motorcycles and basically started in track days and racing within like, you know, six months. So you got peer pressure into racing. Some people get peer pressure into taking drugs. Some people get peer pressure having sex too young. You got peer pressure into racing. That's the greatest peer pressure ever. It really is. Peer pressure into racing. You can't can't (laughs) beat. But you can't beat that. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, you yeah, no. you you could be going through rehab right now, but you're in racing. I mean, you have no money in your bank account because it's racing, <laughs> but you're nice and healthy. Yeah. How great! Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of worse things you'd be peer pressured in. Totally. What I want to know is, what I want to know is, when did you first get a knee down? When when did you first drag a knee? Oh, um, I think I did it at Thunderhill. We went and did a second trip to Thunderhill like a couple months later. Uh-huh. And I rode my buddy's 250, Ninja 250, um, very old Ninja 250. And he was like, you'll get your knee down on this because it's so much smaller and like easier to like move around. And I was like, okay. And I did it. <laughs> and then I like came back. And I was like, look guys, look at my knee. <laughs> and then everybody's like, okay, well, it's overrated. Once you do it and then you start racing a bunch, it's like, okay, well, that doesn't really mean anything, but like, it feels cool at the moment. So. Stop it. Because I haven't, I haven't drug a knee yet. So, and I've been to about four track days. So you just stop it. You know, you're ruining my, I have, I have one coming up next month. So don't ruin yeah. my good time. Okay. I want to okay. drag a knee. And when I do, that's when I'm coming for you, Mal. I'm okay. coming for you. I'm ready. I'm oh, ready. Oh, I like that. She basically said, we'll bring it. That's what you basically said. We'll bring it. Yep. 
I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. But I mean, so when did you, when did you like, was it immediately or was, I'm talking about the love for it. Were you like, you did the track days, but when did you go, my God, I love this. Oh man. Um, that's yeah. I don't really know. I think it was that first track day. I mean, once I like, I did that track day and I was like, this is something that I really enjoyed doing. Like it was super fun. It was difficult. Like it was so hard to learn all the things. Like I did a performance school with two fast track days, which is the track day company that I work for now. So my very first track day, I went there and I, you know, did the school and they taught me so many things like the motorcycle safety course doesn't teach you. And they're like, Oh, like braking, you can do that in a turn. They tell you to do it before the turn. You can break in a turn. It's called trail braking. You're like, what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, all this information is just like thrown at me. I met so many cool people that were so nice to me. And it was like, all right, this seems like a new challenge that I really love to do. You know, I had gotten to the point where like, I've been showing horses for so long. I went to the world show. I kind of had done it all. You know, I had the same horse for, I still have him. He's 15 now. Mm. Uh, I had the same horse and showed him, you know, all this time. And it was like, all right, like I kind of done it. You know, yeah. I think that there's more I could do. Like if I could get another horse and train the new one, but that didn't really interest me, you know? So I did the whole, like, I juggled both. I tried to do motorcycles and horse shows and I would just like not really prepare for a horse show and just like go to a horse show and have fun. It was so fun. Yeah. But I realized that like my heart wasn't quite in it like it used to be. Like I wasn't making the time for that sport to work and I was making the time for motorcycles and then, you know, progress now, you know, five years and like my entire life besides my career, my entire life revolves around motorcycles, right? Like it's almost every weekend or every week I have a track day that I'm working at or, you know, a coaching day that I'm doing or a race round, you know, <laughs> this is like now yeah. that has engulfed my life and it progressed so fast, but I've loved like every minute of it, you know, doing those races and meeting people and like doing this is just, it's been so like so fun. It's been a new challenge and there's so much more that I could learn. And it's just, it's really cool to be, a role model to other people and just to do something that like makes my heart happy. Now, did that, did that love completely replace horses or and was there a sense of like, I went to, when I went to college, I went there to wrestle and wrestling was my whole life. And it was the love of my life. And the first day I set foot on college, I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And it was almost like a breaking up with, <laughs> with a, a girlfriend or whatever. So, you know, like, and it got me to where I am now. So it, it was that the same kind of feeling with horses, even though you still have your horse, is there like a, even though you you feel like you replaced that love with motorcycling? Um, I mean, I don't want to say that I replaced it, but I definitely feel like I, you know, have more of a desire to do things motorcycle related, but there is still that love for horses because that is mine. That was my life for so long. And, you know, my horse is my child essentially. And so I still care and love for him. And I still go see him, you know, not as often as I'd like because I'm right. so busy, but I, I do have that little bit of love for him because I, I always will. And I always love horses. And honestly, when I'm old and I don't want to race motorcycles anymore, I will probably go back to showing horses. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of that passion and drive to to push to do something, you know, bigger than me is yeah. now motorcycles for sure. And what was it? What was specific, if somebody had to ask you specifically, what 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 is it about the motorcycling that that made you go yes? Like this is this is the the replacement for horses. Like the, what is it about? Is it the the adrenaline? Is it about the, the the sound? You know, I always tell people there's no better sound when motorcycles are on the grid and right before that green flag drops. That, that's the greatest <laughs> sound ever. So what was what yeah. is it about motorcycling that that made you go okay? This is it, and this is this is the, what I'm going to focus on now. I think it's kind of like what I was telling you earlier about like you kind of forget everything that is life when you're on a motorcycle, right? There aren't, there isn't time to remember that you for like forgot to take the garbage out or like, oh, you missed a deadline or, you know, oh, I'm having relationship problems or whatever it may be. You don't have time for any of that, right? The moment that your brain goes to something else is the moment that you make a mistake and something happens. So when you were riding a motorcycle, you are 110% present in that moment of riding that motorcycle. That is all you care about. 
you care about that guy that's in front of you that's beating you and you're like i'm gonna beat you right now (laughs) you know and so it's like those yeah it's like the adrenaline and just being in that moment is like nothing that you can replace right you come off the track you're stoked you're on cloud nine like i come off track i pull my helmet off and i'm like stoked i'm like oh my god did you see that thing and then like i'm talking to the person that i was like battling with or whatever and i'm just like or i got like a podium spot and i'm just like stoked i'm like screaming at people they're like congratulations i'm like oh like the energy level is just like 110 and everybody's like, wow, Mallory, like, you know, people that don't race or whatever, don't ride are like, cause it's like even track days are a little bit different than like that race environment, but you come off the track and like, I've had friends come and like watch me race and I come off and I'm just like, Oh, and they're just like, what the heck is wrong with her? Like, you know, it's just 10, five hour energy. So you just chug them all at once. Like, yeah. So, okay. and it's, those are the moments. Have you ever had the, okay, have you ever had, since you're a racer now, of a real racer, have you had that red mist that we talk about, that riders oh, have yeah. when, when somebody oh, pisses yeah. you totally off? Totally crashed. Like, oh. Totally crashed and red mist. Totally done it. Yeah. Really? What happened? Oh. What happened? I've got some sweet pictures of it. Um, yeah, it was a rain race. Uh, it was like the second to last race of the season. Uh, I was chasing the Femwala Championship, so they, used to have, they have a female, female-only race that I used to do, and there's only a couple of us, you know, there's not very many. And the girl that I was, um, I was winning the championship. Um, and it was like the second lap is like I said, brain race. I had a false neutral in one turn. And so then I had to like, I got all discombobulated. I got passed by one girl and I was like, all right, like just, it's okay. Just focus. Like, it's all right. And then I got passed by another girl on right after, after the front straight, cause they had bigger bikes than me. So I'm like, it's literally the second lap. Like we have so many more laps left. It's raining. Like it's okay. Like breathe. So like we go through and I'm just like pissed at this point, right? Like both of them got ahead of me. They shouldn't be ahead of me. So I come down through and I'm just like on her. I'm like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to go for it. So I went for an inside pass on her coming out of a turn that's notorious for being slippery in the ring. And I just whack her throttle open and instantly go 90 degrees to this way. Like she's going that way. I am this way. I am still looking straight. Like I am like, I rode the thing to the ground. Like I didn't get high sided. I just went whoop, all the way down. But like the determination that I was like, it's fine. I'll save it. Like, this is okay. As my like foot is on the ground, like it's a sweet picture. And, uh, cause the photog was like in the corner that I was doing it in. And I was so mad because it was like, you know, there was so much time in that race to like make it happen. Like, and I was, I was fine. I wasn't going to lose her. Like I had the pace, but at that time I was like, I need guys now, right now. <laughs> and I threw away the championship. Because I crashed and like you lose so many points from that, that there was no way I could come back. And so, cause all I had to do was finish. Like I didn't really have to beat her. There was still one more round. I could have like still got the championship. So that's where like the statement always comes from. You don't lose like overall championship or you don't win overall championships. You lose them because overall championships are about consistency. They had to eat at you for the rest of the season, huh? Oh yeah. I didn't go to Portland. I didn't go to the next round. I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore this year. <laughs> I really? Oh, wait now. What did <laughs> you learn from that? What What did you learn from that? Like that calm, cool, and collected. You know, keep stay smart. That I saw the red mist and I didn't even notice it. I was just like, "It's fine. This is fine. I'm just gonna get it right here." And it was a stupid mistake. And like, you know, it was. I learned a lot from that moment of like, just be patient and wait for the right time, and it will come. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! That you never come back from that. When you throw away a championship, <laughs> I mean, you really don't. People don't understand it, but there's times, you know, if, if you've done sports, you know, there's moments where when you you just can't come back from that. So it's like that had to gnaw at you forever and ever <laughs> and ever. When, it didn't until so we brought it back up. But. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll move on. I'll move on. I'll move on. Now, okay, no, so, so what? I just... I just get better achievements and then I just forget about those ones because they're farther away. Well, it's, it's helped you to where you are now. I mean, and, and, and speaking of that, now you wouldn't, you didn't grow up a motorcycle racing fan. So do you know your history? Like, do you watch MotoGP? Do you have like riders that you look up to and go, okay, I want to, cause I mean, once you're in it, I mean, I'm a Gemini. So when I get some, I'm like this, I'm, I'm all in. So are, are you the same way? Like now that you're in motorcycle racing, do you watch the bigger guys? Like, okay, I want to go there. And then you start watching their racing and see what they're doing and how they're achieving their goals. That's probably what I do with Moto America. So, you know, I was, I was very much, 
you know, I say that I'm like very dedicated and like a lot of things that I choose to, but when I first started racing motorcycles, it was just for fun, right? I, I bought some, a bike that I could compete on. That was fun. And I got to hang out with my friends and party, you know, like it was more like racing motorcycles in the day, drinking at night, <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. it was social for me, right? I'm an extrovert. I love to hang out with my friends and, you know, have that kind of fun. And so for the first couple of years, I was just, you know, very much into just like, I'm just racing to have fun with my friends and to have fun and maybe do a little bit of progressing, but not, you know, a ton. Um, it wasn't until Moto America came to the Ridge two years ago that I really started to follow that. Like, oh, Moto America came here to my local track. I could compete at Moto America because like the club people can go and do one, one event race and compete with the national level people. And it was at that moment that I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> I would yeah. like to get there. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get there. And so that was when I started following more a little bit about the Moto America circuit and a bunch of more Moto America people and just like following them a little bit more on what they were doing and how they were doing what they are, they are, you know, and I watched some like MotoGP and stuff, but I'm not, I'm not like obsessive, you know, like it's not, I'm like, yes, motorcycles is a big part of my life, but I'm not going to sit there and watch all the other motorcycle things that happen. Like I watched the highlight reels from MotoGP and I'm like, yep, that was good enough for me. Like, <laughs> you know, I see the articles about people crashing cars and drinking, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, it was it wasn't until Moto America came here that I really started tracking on Moto America stuff and kind of just making a plan like that's where I want to get to, how am I gonna get there and like backtracking that up to where I am, you know, now. Um so and there was a lot of events that happened up to where I where I am now with my new bike and all sorts of stuff like that. <laughs> So when you, so when you get the call up to Moto America, I mean, was that did you feel like I made it? And then was there a sense of like, okay, careful what you wish for, I'm here now. And did you was there like a sense of okay, I'm gonna show them I'm ready, or was like was it was like butterflies? Like I mean, how did you feel when you were like you're racing in Moto America in the Super Sport Division, by the way? Yeah, it was crazy. It was such a fun experience. And like, I was just like in the mindset of like, I'm just here to enjoy everything about this and just love it all. Right. But yeah, my stomach was in butterflies until, until the lights went out, basically. Like it was, well, actually we did, when I did, when we did our warm up lap, I was like looking around and I'm like, all right, it's just another race. I know what I'm doing. I know this track, like this is, it'll be fine. It's just another race. And that was like, I calmed myself down and went around, you know, I gritted up and then the lights went out and it was just like race mode, you know, it, up until that point though, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, like it was just constant, like knots in my stomach of like, I'm here, but like almost that like imposter syndrome of like, I'm here, but did I like just fool them into letting me here? Like, I don't actually know. Yes. We <laughs> talk about that imposter syndrome. Okay. Now that like talk me through it. When did you get the call up or how did that work? You went from like club racing to hey, you're racing Moto America. Yeah. So you have to have points in your club level to apply for a license to be Moto America. So you have to compete on the same motorcycle you compete in Moto, in Moto America or, you know, similar. And then fill out an application that says, these are my points that I've gotten from these clubs. You know, so you have to basically have a certain number of wins or like, you know, top 10 finishes or whatever it is, you know, to calculate up the points within the past like three years, which is a lot easier than people, I think, realize. And then you fill it all out. Your club signs it. It says like, yeah, we think she could, you know, he or she could race Moto America. And then you basically just pay them money for a license and they go, here you go. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. You know, it's, it's like, once you have the, the points and the license and everything like that, it's, it's not as scrutinized as people think, because then even when you get there and you come to Moto America, you still have to run. So in super sports case, you have to run 108% of the fastest lap time during qualifying to make the show. So the fastest guy, whoever that is during the day, Heron, whatever, he runs a certain lap time. You have to run 108% of that lap time in order to make the show. And if you don't, you're cut, and you don't get to race. Well, like, if you're bad in math, like I am, how do you figure out 108%? I mean, I don't I don't know what that is. I mean, I really don't. I would just go, okay, go yeah. fast. But how did you figure, how do you fast. figure that that's out? That's a good, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, you just do calculate, you like calculate the number of seconds, <laughs> multiply by 1.08. And then that gives you the number of seconds. And then for you, was it like a no brainer? Like, yeah, I can do that. Or was it like, okay. I mean, how was, I mean, how did you mentally say, I didn't think about it for a minute, but I'm an engineer. So like math was my strong suit. That's why I got an engineer. Oh, well, you guys see it like that. Made me feel like I'm stupid. I just asked you a question. No, you're not stupid. You're not stupid. I just love math. I'm just, I'm the nerd. 
No, you made me feel like I was stupid because I asked you a question. And now you're like, no, I'm an engineer. That's what I do. So, you know, I'm just asking you. I'm just asking you. So did you, did you figure yourself, hey, no problem. I can do this. Where you're like, okay. Because sometimes, you know, all you got to do is just breathe and go, hey, listen, this is what I do. Just go out and have fun, which is easier said than done. <laughs> or, oh, or, totally. Yeah, I, I, so last year, basically I did a bunch of training coaching down in Chapala, which is down in like desert center, California. Um, they race in the winter down there because it's in the desert and it's 120 degrees in the summer. So in the winter, it's like 80 or 90, which is like doable. Yeah. So I trained and coached all year or all winter down there and got some coaching from Jason Pridmore, which if you know any of your motorcycle history, he's an AMA champion, world champ. Duh. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Duh, that's what hello. I do. That's what I do. <laughs> so I got coaching from Jason Pridmore and instantly dropped, you know, two and a half seconds within the weekend. And just by getting one day coaching with him, just one-on-one, which is insane for like a middle pack race. Like I was already in the middle. It wasn't like I was just like out in boonies. I was in mid pack 600 races. You people don't understand two and a half seconds is a lot because I mean, (laughs) at the highest level at MotoGP, it there it's tenths and hundreds of a second, but two and a half seconds. That's unbelievable. Did, Did that just skyrocket your level of confidence? Yes. Yeah. It was insane. So like there was a point where like, so I didn't qualify the greatest, but I started from third row in a race and I jumped all the way up this imposter syndrome tiger right here too. But like, I jumped all the way up to second on the start. I got like almost whole shot. Like I was like whoop, up into second place behind the first place guy. And I held that spot for three laps. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> At any point, someone's going to squash me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, you know, like, that's the mentality that I have because I wasn't used to being the front runner. Like, I'm not used to being in the front. And so it was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm here. Like, this is, you know, this is happening. Like, I deserve this. I've worked my ass off for this. And, you know, the training and coaching and, you know, working at the gym has been helpful. And so those were those were the things that were, like, confidence boosters coming back up here. Because prior to Prior to that coaching, I was still, you know, two seconds off of qualifying time from last year for Moto America. I wrote it on my whiteboard. I like calculated it out. I wrote the 150 flat. It was like 150.01 or whatever. I wrote it on my whiteboard at home and I was like, this is what I need. And the fastest lap time before that, that I'd run was like a 52 or a 51. And I was like, I got some work to do. You know, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so then I came back up here after all that coaching from the winter and I did our first race run up here and with the crappy weather still set another personal best, you know, and ran like a 50 flat or something like that. And I, I, I made it like, I was like, wow, that's qualifying time. And it was so cold and like the weather was meh. And I was like, all right, we're there. Like I'm freaking there. And I was like, let's keep going. Like if, if we're already there, then I want to keep progressing, you know? And so when I got to Moto America, I was confident that I could qualify because I had had the times, but there was still that little bit of like doubt, you know, of like, well, maybe, you know, the times get faster this year because, you know, X, Y, Z, because the super sport rule changes, you know, all sorts of things like that. And so I was definitely still nervous, but I think all that coaching and all the prep work up to it was like, I've done everything that I can to be successful to this point. And at this point, I just have to do what I know how to do. When, when did it finally hit though? When did you go... Yes, I, I do deserve to be here. Like, I, this is not, I'm not an imposter. I'm just as good as these guys. Um, you know, I don't know that it ever really hit. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> um, I dropped a whole second in the weekend. Like, I ran my fastest lap and river ran in qualifying, of all things, on my own. And I think just being there was, you know, helpful, being around a lot of faster people, right? Uh, and just the confidence of like, you know, this is the time to shine kind of deal. And I think after Friday, we qualified on Friday for a qualifying one session. And after that, I was like, still kind of just like in the Moto America, you know, oh, we're getting my bike ready. Like we have qualifying tomorrow, like blah, blah, blah. And then I went home and I sat at home for a second and we watched, actually, that was Saturday night. So after that first race on Saturday, I went home and we watched, we rewatched the race on Moto America Live Plus. And I saw my name on the list in like 12th or whatever it was at a point. And I was like, my name is on that. I did that. That is what I've been dreaming of doing for the past year. This is all the things that I planned up to this point. And now it happened. Like, and it was just like that moment that I was like, I I did that and I worked for it. And people are telling me that I deserve this. And this is where I should be. And like, you know, now I think I'm still like processing that of like, oh, you know, this is what I'm doing now. And 
it's pretty cool, but at the same time, still a little bit like daunting, you know, to be on a Moto America circuit. It's just a bigger thing, you know. So, so to get you there mentally, what gets you there? Like some people, you know, some people like they, uh, positive affirmations, they say, or maybe they, they read a book and some people, you know what I mean? They may say a spiritual thing or whatever. Like what gets you there? I mean, there's some people like I have like a, a vision board and, and everything. And I, I like to play like meditative music all the time. What, what, do, what do you get to get yourself mentally there and, and get you there focused in and ready? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of people have like a process <laughs> and I'm kind of a little looser about all of that. Uh, I have a performance coach, uh, his name is Ethan and he specializes in motorsports performance coaching. And he teaches me a lot of tools to use in the moments of like self-doubt. So like prior to Moto America, like the last week we had a meeting and I told him, I said, you know, I'm just really doubting myself right now. Like it's really hard for me not to get in this doubt spiral. And he's like, all right, well, remember your ABCs of like, when you start to get in this spiral, like, what are the things that you're going to focus on either when you're on track or off track, you know? So like you have your ABCs, like breathe, try, like you just pick certain things that you want to say to yourself that like brings you back to center. And so, you know, those are kind of the tools that like I can use, but otherwise it's like me visiting with people and being around others and like just doing like, you know, some of that stuff has been helpful uh, up to the point of it. Like, you know, it's like, I go to the gym, I'm, reading some, like I do have a couple affirmations that I have, but I'm like not very regimented about any of that. Right. It's more of like, how do I feel today? (laughs) What are some of your your, uh, uh, affirmations that, that are like your tried and true ones? Like, what do you come back to that get you centered? Uh, One of the ones is, is I have greatness within me is one of my, it's like basically my like one and only like major affirmation that I really remember, you know, and it's, it's, I actually just bought um, a new, Zox bracelet. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but they're just like elastic bracelets that have like fancy sayings on them. Um, but this one just says there's nothing you can't do. Okay. And so, you know, this, it's more or less just like being confident and like being able to do everything. But I think I have a lot of confidence in myself, but I have to like, sometimes it's like that doubt. It's really the only thing that I have to like battle. Do, do you ever listen to music? Like say we're on the grid, like when you're on the grid and, and it's, you know, the, as Nikki Hayden used to call it the dog and pony show, when you're, you know, you're ready for, you know, the cameras are there and this and that, and you're just ready to like, come on, man, let's just get this sighting lap on <laughs> and get ready to race. So are you listening to music? And if you are, what are you listening to? Uh, not on the grid. Um, as it was on the grid, I was like, kind of like, you know, a cat that was just like, I don't really, like a squirrel, like, I don't really know what's happening. And like, it was, I was kind of just absorbing the moment of being on the grid with an umbrella person and like, you know, just being there. Cause that's not what club racers do. Right. right. Uh, before racing, a lot of times I will listen to five year death punch Pandora station. Really? <laughs> what, 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 what song from 500? What, what song from death punch? Yeah, just any, like any of the like typical five year death punch songs. I don't know. Like is, is, is that your group? Because is that your group? Not really. Like, I mean, there's a certain time and I'll listen to them, but like, cause I'm very much a wide spectrum of music listener, but it's like, that's like my focus music. So I'll put in these headphones and I'll do like a mental lap, like on my motorcycle, like in the pits where like, I'll sit there and I'll just do like a mental lap of like running through like gears and whatever. And just like visualizing. Yeah. And that kind of just gets me in the zone sometimes, but like, yeah. otherwise I'm, I'm not really doing much of anything, you know, like the horns going off. I'm like, all right, gotta put my head, like, Earplugs in, and I'm just like bullshitting with people in my pit, and like, blah, 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 blah. and they're like, Oh man, I got like a minute, I'm like, okay, and I'm like, get ready, and like, <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because Cam Peterson actually says the same thing about like he visits with fans and family and friends and pit crew right before he goes to race because that's that's the best way for him to stay calm mm-hmm. and to not freak out or not get nervous. And I think I'm the exact same way. Like if I sit there and I try to focus and like, all right, I need to like do some breathing or do some like eye exercises or like not talk to anyone, then I get like all like freaked out. You know, I'm like sitting there like, oh god, yeah, I'm like yeah. get ready to race, and so then I get yeah. all nervous even more so than I should. So. And so is, is it a matter of calming your breathing? Because to me, and I love this, and I just got back from Aston. I, got, I just got back from watching MotoGP in Aston. So it's like I watch those guys like a hawk, and I'm just like, how do they control that? And, and it's weird how, how they, I see how they compartmentalize. Like some of them, they'll leave the bike, go to the bathroom, come back, and do whatever. And it's like, how do you control your breathing? Because you know, you know it's about <laughs> to start. And we, you know, just kind of... 
Those and guys the, are like literal like superheroes. Like I'm pretty sure they're like not even human. Like MotoGP yeah. guys are just like insane, right? Yes. Like I don't, I don't. They're a whole nother like breed of human. <laughs> they're aliens, man. I mean, they really are. They're yeah. aliens. They're 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 a yeah. whole different planet. Watching those guys. So how do you do that? Like, do, is it the the breathing? Do you okay when it's when it's time? You get that that five minute. Okay, it's five minutes, and then it, and then your people leave you. You know, the umbrella goes down. Then your mechanic <laughs> gives you a handshake. Like, all right, Mal, it's time. And you put the helmet on and you're tightening up. You got the gloves on and they start. The, I mean, what's your process then? Are you running a, a mental checklist? No, I like put my gloves on and then I like scoot my butt back as far as I can. But I'm like short because I'm, I'm five, five, but like not really tall enough to like move all the way back on the bike. So like I'm sitting there, you know, all my balls, my feet and I'm like, all right. And I get all scooched and get all settled. And I'm like, all right. And I look down, I like just kind of check everything over and then put my visor down and then that's it. You know, I'm like, that's all I got. That's my, that's my checklist. And I'm like, all right, where's the lights? Let's go. Now, when the visor goes down, or like they say, are you a different person once that visor goes down? Yeah, totally. The world gets shut out at that point. It's me and my motorcycle and beating those people in front of me. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And now, what is great about this is you are even living the dream even more because you're going to be racing Laguna Seca this week, Ooh. which is an iconic track. <laughs> And this, yeah, this is the track. I mean, honestly, this is a world famous track. You're gonna go through the corkscrew, which has ruined many a racer. I mean, this is a make or break. You go through that corkscrew and you do the right move, man. You could put somebody in the dirt, and you can it, it can make or break you. And and the, what I loved about you, you say, you know what? I don't know anything about this track, but I'm gonna study. And I know that if I do my, you know, do what I'm supposed to do, and I study it, there's no reason why I can't get some points. So have you been studying the track and, and do you have a feel for it already just from your mental checklist? Yeah. So I've been playing MotoGP uh, <laughs> too, which is, it's dumb because it, MotoGP 22 has the 2009 circuit on it, but they yeah. only have MotoGP bikes on it, which is impossible to play. If you've ever played MotoGP, it's so hard. Like MotoGP bikes are the worst to play in that game. But um, I've been playing that game just to kind of get the feel for the track. And then I've been watching a bunch of laps from a bunch of people that posted from the last like CRA round that they had there a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know where the track goes. I know which, tor- which corner is which. And so when I get there, you know, cause I mean, we don't get a ton of time to ride it, right? Like it's not like we don't get a track day beforehand. We don't get a practice day. We get 25 minutes of practice in the morning on Friday, a 30 minute qualifying session in the afternoon, and then a second 30 minute qualifying session on Saturday. That's it. And, then it's and so and it's, it's yeah. And I've never done it before. Right? I've never, I've never sat and like had to learn a, a track under pressure and say, all right, you have this much time to learn a track and you got to set down a flying lap. <laughs> are, are, you, so, are, you re- are you ready for the corkscrew? Are you ready for it? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm totally ready. I'm not even worried about the corkscrew. Like if anything, like, <laughs> I think I'm more worried about turn one. <laughs> really? Really? I mean, why yeah. is that? I hear about turn. That's what everybody says. Turn one is like make or break. What is it about turn one that's so like difficult? Because uh, it's blind. So it's not really a straight, right? You're coming up over the hill and then it like goes to the left a bit. And then before turn two, it like turns left, but you're pinned. So you're full pinned over this hill that's blind and you have to pick a reference point like off in the distance to like aim towards to know that the track is going to be there instead of the dirt. And a lot of people have issues being pinned there. So you lose a ton of time because you, you could be pinned all the way over the hill. Your bike's going to wheelie a bit and you're going to come over the hill and then you're going to set it down and then heartbreak into two. And so that's where people have a lot of issues because they're like, no, they can't see the track. So it'll start to like roll off and then come up over the hill and then roll back on. And that's time. That's time wasted. You know? Yeah. So, so what would you say your biggest asset is as a racer? As a, just as, as a racer, what do you think your, your best asset is? Uh... Starts. Starts. <laughs> Race starts. Really? Yeah. And why is that? Are you just have quick reflexes? Is that why? Or what is it? Yeah. So, well, science would say that women have better reaction times than men. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, when it comes to getting mad, of course, I've had many girlfriends. Their reaction time was great. Like from the moment I told them, no, I don't know who that girl is. And their reaction, time, <laughs> their hand in my face was like, wow, <laughs> that was, I think you jumped the start. I, <laughs> so, I have had people be like, you jumped the start. And I'm like, watch my video and like show them. And it's like, it's pretty close, but it's not. I didn't jump it. Um, yeah, I mean, I can gain. So I bet our number one plate holder at our club level five dollars that I could beat him. I could get the whole shot on him from third row, 
because I qualified third row and he was in the front row. And he was like, there's no way. There's no freaking way. We were at Portland and I did it. I beat him to turn one and I was like, you owe me $5. Really? <laughs> All the way from third row. Yeah. And he's a pretty small guy. So it's not even like a weight advantage thing. Like it was just more or less that I just had a better start than he did. Well, I'll t- tell you what, I will give you, I will Venmo you $20 if you can whole shot Josh Heron this weekend. How about that? Yeah, that's not happening. That's I would, not well, no, you're talking negative. Do you put negativity out in the world? I will Venmo <laughs> you. I will Venmo $20. you. $20. I need to do more than 20 Okay, how much you want to go? How much you want to go? $21. <laughs> how about $21? Does, does it matter if I jump start? Can I just like blow the lights all together? <laughs> no, no, listen. Listen, I will give you the money, but you got to do it fair and square. We're not, <laughs> not going to Lance Armstrong this. You're going to do it fair and square. So I will Venmo you. How about this? I will Venmo you $50 if you if you whole shot Josh Heron into, <laughs> into turn one. How about that? Got 50 it. bucks. 50 bucks. All right. 50 bucks. If you get the whole <laughs> shot this weekend, I'll be like, you know what? I got to bend up more hard. And, and I got the cash. If not, I'll ask my producer. He's got money. I'll bend <laughs> you 50 bucks if you get the whole shot this weekend. Okay. Deal. How about that? Okay. So what's your biggest liability? What's your, what do you have to work on? Like, what's your, like, your, your, your like, ah, I, I wish I was better at this. Um, hard breaking, like maximum, maximum breaking, um, on turns that are like slower and like, the chicane at the ridge or like 13 where we come down the complex. Um, so in, in the scenario of Laguna, probably 11, turn 11, the last one. Um, I'm really not as good on like super heartbreaking. So I like when I like you look at data, which we look at like speed versus, you know, GPS. Um, when you look at my data, like my graph of like, you know, acceleration to braking, there's like, it should be like a point, right? Like you should be accelerating and you should be braking like super hard. And like hot is like, and then it like kind of rounds out at the top and there's like a hesitation where like I'm rolling off the throttle. I'm waiting to get on the brakes because I got off too soon. And then, cause I know that I'm like, oh, I already rolled the throttle, but I don't really need to get to the brakes yet. And then I'm like brakes, downshifts, brake more. And then in, and all that time that I took to like roll off the throttle, get to my brakes, do my downshifts, it's all time wasted, right? Like you should be off the throttle, brakes, downshift. Like that should happen all at the same time. And so that's something that I've been working on a bunch with Jason, with Pridmore, uh, is just working on those transitions and getting that faster so I can push that later and break later, right? So I can accelerate longer, break later, and break shorter distance or shorter time. Okay. So those are like super fine tooth, like things that I need to work on where like, you know, I'm fast enough to keep up with people, but the breaking is, is hard for me for whatever reason. And part of that, I think is like a fitness thing. Like, I think, you know, I've been working a lot on upper body because I feel like I get really exhausted, you know, in a race. Well, that's what I want to talk. Cause there's something about you motorcycle racers and it makes me so mad is I've tried to find out what is the routine in the gym that you guys do? And nobody ever says it. They're like, well, you know, you just, you know, and uh, you just, uh, you know, we just go to gym and that's, you know, we just, and, and I go, what is it? Well, we just, you know, and then man, see you later. And they never tell me. So what is it that you guys, that you people do? And I'm going to say people because I would say oh, you guys, but no, you're obviously no. not a guy. Don't, don't do this right. way, Mallory. There's 50 <laughs> bucks on the line here. So what is it that you guys do in the gym? What exercise do you do? Because I want to be like you guys. I want to be like you. I want to be like a motorcycle <laughs> racer. I want to look like a racer. What do I have to do? Uh, it's pretty much like all body, right? It's like entire, like it's everything, right? Because like you think about it, right? It's like, so for me, like I've been working out a bunch of my arms because I got little girl arms and I'm like, you know, I got to make sure to be strong. But, you know, you're using your core, you're using your legs, like you're using everything like that's the thing it's like you're using your legs for transitions you're using your core to like make sure that you stay upright when you're breaking and then you know all these like the traps and your shoulders and pause and tries like everything right you've been to a track day when you're done with the track day what hurts every i'm exhausted i'm exhausted everything. mentally i'm exhausted <laughs> because i put everything into it that's kind of guy yeah, i am i think you could tell that you could tell them that's the kind of guy I am. I put everything into it. Like this interview, I'm putting everything into this and I'm getting nothing out of you. You know, I'm getting nothing out of you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go into the yeah. hard corner and, and, and break and I'm getting nothing out of you. I'm getting nothing. And I'm it's, trying to yeah, say, it's, what it's, are you doing? Yeah. That's, that, that's not an answer. Everything is like, everything. An you know, it's like, it's I'm like, doing like, I'm doing like wall sits. I'm doing planks. I'm doing some like one leg, single, single jumps. Like, how about balance um, board? Are you doing balance board? people that do do a balance board. I don't. 
Uh, I do a lot of resistance cable work. So like, you know, cause my coach actually plug Southern pride performance is my performance coach and he can help you. Southern pride performance coach. You heard him. Southern, Southern pride, pride performance. performance coach. Okay. And what, and, what do you, <laughs> and what do you guys do there? What do you guys do? What are you working on? He plans, he plans all my workouts for me. Um, so he does a lot of mobility training, um, stretching, like just a lot of things geared towards motorsports. So he's a motorcycle coach. He coaches, uh, Cam Peterson, Jake Gagne, Ezra Bobier, like all these guys that, um, you know, are getting the Motor America paddock. He's coaching a lot of them through a lot of things. So like just even mobility, but also like core workouts and strength training. Uh, and he plans it all. He's got, he, we use train heroic, which is like an app and he's working on developing his own app, but he uses train heroic and it plans all the workouts for the week. And you just like start it and it like gives you all the things and all the reps and the weights and whatever. It's called train yeah. heroic. Yeah. Train heroic is the app. And then he runs all the, his programs and like his stuff through his um, website and everything. So. so if I download train heroic, I can train like a motorcycle racer. I can look like you. I can and be pay, like you. Pay Ethan. Yes. And pay oh. Ethan to run a program. And I'll, and I'll look like you and I can get, I can get the yeah. whole shot and yeah, I'll be able to get some little muscles. Oh, little look, muscles oh, no, you ain't no girl. Like, who are you messing with? <laughs> who you think you're messing with girl? <laughs> I'm the black Mallory Dobbs. Heck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would not choose a better person to represent me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that made me laugh. That's a statement. That That's like the title of this this podcast. I'm the Black Mallory Dobbs. The, the Black Mallory Dobbs. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not gonna lie, they made me laugh. I thought that was funny. I really did. <laughs> you know. Well, listen. You know what? I know you don't. At least I don't think you do. But have you thought about training like a you know like a motocross in the off season or or during the week? You know to help you as far as like you know like a lot of MotoGP guys do that. Are you doing any motocross or anything? No, I'm not currently. Um, I've thought about it a lot. I did some flat track a couple times with some friends for some fun. Uh, I don't have a dirt bike or anything. I think that they're great grass training. Everybody says it is, right? Like that's, it's a full body workout without being on the track and you can ride wherever and whenever. Uh, a lot of people also get hurt doing that, right? Because, you know, motocross is motocross or any sort of like dirt trailing or whatever. <laughs> But in your words, exactly, because I know you broke your collarbone doing this, and you were exactly, you can get hurt doing anything. And that was your words exactly. I listened to a podcast you did, and you said you can, do, you can get hurt doing anything. So I'm putting your words back in your mouth. How about that? How about that? So, yes, yeah, and I, yep. I have a, I went motocrossing on, on uh, 4th of July. I did some motocross. I, the first time I did motocross this year. And yeah, it does hurt everything. But I was wondering, no, yeah, if you, you know, you should give it a shot. You know, like I go on little baby tracks. I mean, I literally, I literally race against kids that are like eight, nine years old. And it's one kid, <laughs> and it's one kid, remember from his other track, he goes, hey, he goes, you're a lot better than you were last year. And I go, shut up, kid. <laughs> he literally said, you're a lot better than you were last year. <laughs> and his grandpa oh, posted a picture of me on Facebook. And I really thought I was doing the double. I really thought I was getting some big air. And I, and I saw it on Facebook. I go, wow, that was Wow. I mean, in my mind, I am, I'm the black Jeff Hurlings in my mind. And then I looked at the video and I was like, wow, I should probably just shut my mouth. I mean, it was, it was horrible, but you know, but Hey, you never know. One of these days I'm going to be the black Mallory Dobbs. How about that? <laughs> you can do it. You just got to work for it. Well, I want to know now, what are the goals now? I mean, cause you're, like I said, you're killing it. You're achieving your goals. Like I said, you know I mean? Honestly, and all jokes aside, I think what you're doing is nothing short of fantastic because all racers, I mean, they usually, if you know their story, they, they almost like with you and the horses, you know, they start off young. I, I mean, I think I've had, I don't know how many races on here. They start off at six years old at the latest sometimes, some of them three years old. And then by your age, you know, they're racing pros. You didn't start, you didn't get your first bike to 2016. Here it is six years later and you're racing. And not only that, but you're achieving a goal. You said, I don't want to get lapped. I don't want to crash. And what did you do? You got points. So now that that you're living the dream and, and you know, and it's, and go to that saying is that you're being a role model for somebody growing up now. And I know you don't like to, you know, say I'm not a feminist or whatever. And I don't know why that's a bad thing because <laughs> it's a good thing in the, in the sense of just by you doing what you're doing and just by going about your business, girls are going to look up, to, uh, girls are going to look up to you and go, wow, if she did it, 
I can do it. You know, without beating somebody over the head going, I'm a woman, listen to me, you know, whatever. You can go, hey, if she can do it, and within six years, just by applying yourself, I can do it. So what are your goals now? I mean, sometimes people are afraid to say them because they're, they seem too big or too, uh, too daunting. But for you, what are your goals now? Yeah, um, my, my goals in the future would be to race a full Moto America season in the next year or two. You know, I would love to be able to race motorcycles full time would be pretty sweet. Uh, that would be a dream. I think Moto America season would be the start, like full season, and then, you know, paid motorcycle racer would be the next. So, I mean, I'm kind of riding the high from the last Moto America round to carry me to Laguna. Uh, I wasn't going to go to Laguna because they were so, they were so close together and the logistics seemed like a lot. And, you know, I didn't force it, but I, you know, I asked for some support from people and I was overwhelmed by the amount of help I got from, you know, so many people in my life and, you know, that I've never met and some people I have, and just so many people that were like, no, we want to see you at Laguna, like go to Laguna. And so, you know, that's, I'm riding the high from this weekend, from this last weekend at the Ridge, going to Laguna, we're going to see what we can do. You know, I'm just like really excited to like actually learn a track and then kind of show people what I can do there. And see what kind of relationships and things that build on from that. You know, we talk about the role model thing, but I mean, one of the coolest things at, at Moto America that was so fun to me was all the fans walked through the paddock and me sitting, you know, in the pits and people are looking at my bike and they're like, wow, your bike's so beautiful. And like, you know, these little girls walking by and I'm just like, hi. And I like walk out of my pits and go say hello. And they're just like flabbing, you know, just talking. And they're like, oh my goodness, your bike's so pretty. And then like, you know, they're just talking. And then like, I got messages from fans that were like, Hey, we met you in the pits. Thanks for being so cool. My daughter is such a fangirl of you now. And it just, that melts my heart and like gives me purpose to like keep like, yes, I love racing and I want to race for me, but like that just like warms my heart. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm doing something for other people. And like, representing you know women or other people that are younger that want to do something different you know it's not it's hard to get into those things but seeing someone that can do it or someone that's friendly enough to talk to people about it like i'm just another person right like i'm not going to sit there and try to pretend like i'm some big shot now just because i'm in moto america like i want to tell people like i'm here but i work my butt off and you can do it too and you i know? think that's like, what- and that's beautiful. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And that's what makes it so appealing is that you're on this level and you're just showing that, hey, through hard work and just being a good person and you just talk and meet people, you can achieve your goals, man. And that, and I think that's what, that's what brought, honestly, that's what brought me to you. It's just everything about you is just a warm person and you are who you think you are. Like, and I saw your, you know, your, I think I was communicating with you just from Instagram. And I know I'm a lot to handle when I, I really do. <laughs> I know I'm a lot to handle. If you don't know me, you're like, man, this, I don't know about this guy. You know, I know I got <laughs> She nailed it. No, you're so right, because I was looking at this past conversation we had before I even asked you about the podcast, and it is in all caps. It took 110 <laughs> episodes for somebody to call you out on that. It took 110 episodes for somebody to finally go, yeah, what is it with all caps? Like, look, bro, I don't know you. Thanks for being supportive, but I really would appreciate it if you wouldn't contact me ever again. Sign Mallory. <laughs> Good luck in your life. <laughs> So, from here on, from here on out, no all caps. But yeah, for anybody <laughs> watching, she really is who, who she presents herself to be. She's a great person. I mean, it's from the bottom of my heart. And another thing about you is, I can't wait. Hopefully, I will see your '67 Nova that you have restored. And I want to know, does it have an eight-track player? That's all I want to know. Currently, it doesn't have anything in it. No. Listen, you get an A-track player and you get some, listen, get an A-track player, you get some fog hat live and I guarantee you, you will get at least four or five guys with a mullet and they will help you become a motorcycle racer. You listen to fog hat live, that transforms lives. Slow ride. Let me tell you something. You go tell your dad that I know what fog hat live is and he'll go, I like that guy. You tell him. I want to be Why my butt. dad is transforming to Batman. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Listen, that's not the point. The point is, you get a, you get an eight track player for your sixty seven Nova mullets, and you and you listen and you and you drive up playing some fog hat. You will have yourself a pit crew that will work for free. You understand? All they, <laughs> they will work for slits. A six pack of slits. I don't even know if they make that anymore, but they'll work for it. A six pack 
a Schlitz. And that's what they'll do. So get an eight track player in your 67 Nova. And I'm um, meaning from the bottom of my heart, Mallory Dobbs, you are, you are going to get, you're going to kick ass this weekend in Laguna Seca. And I mean this, I will Venmo you, I'm going to Venmo you 50 if you beat Josh Heron. If you get the whole shot, I'm going to Venmo you 50. If you get a top 10, I will Venmo you $100, and I promise you. If you get a top right. 10, I will Venmo you $100, and that's a, okay? I mean this. All right. Okay? Yeah. So, so it's it's, it's fact. Okay, so you have, hey, you could make $150 this weekend. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. If I get a whole shot on here and, and then drop down to the 10th, I might be terrified for my life because someone might hit me. <laughs> no, they won't. Because you know why? Because you go, oh, look what I did. $50 on the line. And you'll, whoa, and then you'll get a top. And then they, and then they can't catch you. They won't be able to catch mm-hmm. you. And they'll be like, who is this girl? And by then, you're gone. You're done. Gone. Just gone. And then. See my ponytail in the wind. And they're like, oh, what the heck? And on the podium, they'll be playing some fog hat, slow ride, <laughs> live. Mallory Dobbs, you are incredible. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I, I, I think you're nothing but just a great inspiration on how it's never too late to achieve your dreams. And that's what I like about you. And I mean, that smile is genuine and it's real. And you can see the passion on your YouTube channel. You can see the passion on your Instagram, man. It is all real. And you're just a person like every one of us, but you took the <laughs> courage to go and go for it. And that's what I love about you. So anybody gets a chance, Follow Mallory Dobbs on Instagram. Anything else you want to uh, plug right now? Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm good. I really appreciate the time that you took to talk to me today. And it's been super fun being here. And, you know, anytime I love to talk about my story and share with other people. And if anybody has any questions about racing or whatever, my journey, like I'm super approachable both in person and on any of my social media. So, yes, yeah, she, she also has merchandise for sale on her uh, Instagram. You go through a link tree, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, link. You can buy some. Uh, what? There's uh, tights. Is it? There's some leggings. Yeah, some Legg- t-shirts, sweatshirts, some Mallory Dobbs racing swag. So my logo, and I guess there's a little story about my logo, but I can tell anybody about that at some point. But um, it's a Wonder Woman logo upside down, B and N. But there's an origin story on that back in my street street riding hooligan days. <laughs> so, but so- yeah, some Mallory Dobbs racing merchants for sale. You guys can buy it at any point. Buy some Mallory Dobbs swag. Support this woman. Like I said, you can't help but love her. She is going to kick ass in Laguna Seca. Thank you so much, Mallory. I appreciate the time. You're going to kick your ass this weekend, girl. Remember, $150 on the line. $150 on the line. An yeah. eight-track Foghat slow ride. I'm BT saying thank you so much for watching Tales from a Gemini. Thank you, Mallory Dobbs. And you know how we say about this time. You know the word. Pay.